So in this installment, I have Professor Baba Pini from Griffith University. Uh, Professor Pini is a leading Australian rural geographer who's done a lot of work around professions in rural areas, disability and rurality, gender in rurality, and a bit of work around education recently and rurality. Um, Barbara, thanks for joining us. I hope we don't have too much, um, too much banging in the, in the background. With the uh, recent climatic changes we've had down here, there's a little bit of emergency repairs going on around me. So, uh, oh, okay. See how we yeah, go. Yeah, you look like you're in a bunker. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, welcome. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. The, the question I've been starting off with is, what does the rural mean to you? And we've had a, a nice range of perspectives to this answer, so I'd be really interested to hear your, your view. Mm. It, it's hard to, I, I think my starting point is very personal. I, we're all, we've all got personal experience. Many of us have got personal experiences of the rural. In fact, it's something I've noticed over the years. Um, wherever I've given talks or engage with people about my research, if, if not someone says, oh, I grew up in a rural town, it's, they visit their auntie or their cousin or their grandma or something, um, they can find a rural connection. So for me, as, at a very subjective and personal level, when, I, when the word rural is in my mind, I think of home, I think of mum and dad, I think of cane fields, I think of uh, cane farmers, I think of my little town Proserpine in North Queensland. Um, I and I think about growing up, and and I have very and I and, and I have very positive and uh, uh, feelings and connotations and dispositions towards that. As I've got older, of course, and I return to my hometown, and it's still lovely to to go there and visit. Particularly, I've got nieces and nephews there, and um, see people that I grew up with who I'm, who um, I care about family and friends, but I see a different, I see things, of course, that I didn't see when I was younger. I see poverty, I see unemployment, I see violence, reading the local newspaper, you know, the magistrate's court page, um, you know, you see domestic, mm. yeah, the domestic violence, uh, fighting. So I see, I see all these other things, and I suppose what that highlights is that um, it, the difference between a romanticised rurality and more the, the the material reality of rurality. I think I think it, as students, it's to try to come to terms with multi-dimensionality of rurality. I saw an article last week. I I, um, I get media alerts for for the, the word rural, and I, and I read a lot of newspaper and newspapers and periodicals as well. And there's a nice piece in the Guardian. Um, uh, by Christine Tondorf, and she wrote about uh, the the truth about regional Australia or the truth about rural Australia. I'll give Philip the um, the link, and it was there. There are two. The truth, according to her, is that there are two rural Australias. Okay, and and it was only it was two. a nice it, only two, but it, it was a nice piece in the sense that at least it went beyond rural Australia as a unitary homogenous entity she did come up with two and her her thesis was she'd been covering the bushfires all of um over christmas and new year and she had observed that the areas that um were really some of the areas that were so badly affected by the bushfires so for example she she gave us an illustration page in northern new south wales which as she pointed out is you know a very low socioeconomic area it has been devastated by bushfires and they're coming to terms with um extreme social, economic and environmental distress. 
and her argument is that there's this rural Australia and then your Bowen Basin rural Australia where people are earning, you know, $125,000 a year, uh, you know, $2,500 a week is the median income. Of course, the problem with that is that there's not only two rural Australias, as sort of Philip has intimated. Even within those two rural Australias, you've got your people in the Bowen Basin who are not miners, who are teachers, for example, or nurses, mm. um, aren't earning that sort of money. Um, uh, you've got people in Page who, who may be weekenders. You've got that from Sydney, et cetera, et cetera. So I, in terms of, again, I think it's interesting that the media is starting or within even popular culture, you're starting to see uh, people trying to disaggregate this rural Australia, particularly in terms of the, I think, the post-election last year um, and, you know, these types of big, big um, problems that are, that have faced the country around climate change and things. It is a very... Um a changing space with events in the last few months particularly and you have seen then the the political changes over the last what, three four years pretty much and i'd really i'd really encourage you as students to in this course you know i've got i've got hot antenna and i'm sure uh, philip has as well to to the sorts of discourses and truths that get trotted out about rural australia um, I don't know whether any of you watched the Insiders program on a Sunday morning, the, the political program, and I saw um, Michael McCormack was interviewed on Sunday morning about the National Party leadership and his mm. what seems to be quite a fragile hold on it. And um, uh, his response uh, was that uh, country... Uh, when David Spears asked him, did he think... Did he think there was going to be a, a coup? Is, 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 is his job safe? And he said, look, I've, I've looked at, um, you know, Barnaby and the others straight in the eye, directly in the eye, and these are country people. When you look country people in the eye, you know the truth. And obviously, um, McCormack was, you know, he was doing quite a few things with that little statement. He was probably, um, you know, trying to put David Spears, uh, not, not answer David Spears' mm. question. He was maybe sending a warning shot to the National Party members and things, but he was also reproducing these uh, these widely circulating ideas about rural Australia, about rural people that uh, somehow that in this instance they're sort of morally superior. You get what you ask for. You get what you see, rather. As he was in his um, fawn pants and his uh, and his hat, absolutely, like the, like the rural and imagine, you, and, you, and you see the prime minister and others when they go to rural places. Suddenly, what they're wearing changes to reflect that that imagery. It's quite um, interesting. Yeah, so, um, I think the other thing about this question of what is rural that that is um, hard to answer and pin down, and and also really exciting for for us as researchers and students is that it is changing. Okay. Mm. So I, most of my work has been in gender and sexuality, so I was absolutely fascinated um, by the same-sex sex marriage, uh, what, what, did we call, what did we end up calling oh, it again? The, uh, plebiscite, I think? Or? Yes, the plebiscite, the plebiscite. So um, those of you who follow these things, what's that, sorry? More country areas voting in favour of this. Absolutely, absolutely. So this whole idea of... Um, you know, country areas being conservative, backwards, stuck in the past. Um, apart, I think uh, out of the 45 uh, defi areas defined as regional, um, 42 
voted yes for yes. same-sex marriage. The three that were no were all in Western Queensland. But the, uh, the other big no votes were from, as, as you know, those of you who follow these things would know, were from um, Western Sydney. Um, I think I think a dozen a dozen of the yeah. no votes came from areas in Sydney. Two from in, for, two from Melbourne. So this to me signals a signals a shift, and I've been noting this sort of uh, and and you, there's other shifts that are occurring in terms of uh, the the one dimensionality of rural Australia mm. that makes it hard to pin down this what is rural. And I think that's why I often start with that with that notion because it's it is such a moving situation and when we try to put characterizations on it it, it, it shapes the discussion so I think if we don't mm. actually talk about what we mean by it in the first place then we don't have mm. a reference point and our our meanings slip and they become very um, very loose which is one of the things that I sort of observe is the the use of the rural as a justification to do something or to engage in a certain way without any um, defining what that is in the first place mm. so it just reinforces the stereotypes which can often be a deficit or as you say, based in the past from 40, 50 years That's right, uh, or something even morally superior or something. Mm. So I think that what, what that highlights to me and a lot of the work that, you know, you've done, Philip, and that, I'm, that I do is really about, and the work I'd encourage your students to do, as not just as students but as professionals in, in rural areas, is, uh, is not only to identify when you hear these sorts of tropes and stereotypes um, and ideas about rural Australia um, circulating, not just to identify them, but to say, critique them and go, what work is being done here? Who is being included and excluded by this definition of the rural? Mm, exactly. What, what are the power relations around, this, around the, these ideas of rurality? What work is it doing and for whom? I, I really like the, uh, the, the paper by Mike Corbett, who I'll be talking with next week, where he mm -hmm. critiques that notion of community. So that, yes. that, that, I think he calls it the, the trope in a lot of rural studies around, or well, it's about community bondedness. Mm, yeah. It depends which community you're talking about. So sure. I think when you're talking Ruth about... Has a really, sorry, Ruth Leapens has a really nice paper on community as well in Journal of Rural Studies uh, along those similar lines. Excellent. Yeah. I was um, actually on that journal this morning. I had two, two, uh, the last one came in my email this morning. There you go. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Um, I was going to ask you about some of your work, uh, mm -hmm. but you mentioned there a couple of times the that morality issue. And mm. I think it, it, it reminds me of one of your papers and a bit of work you did, uh, I think it was with Martin Mills, around mm -hmm. those programs about, oh, we'll take the, the country, the city kids that are struggling and take them to the rural and somehow they will be fixed. Mm. There's a lot of that sort of um, notion of the rural and its, its values overcoming some ill. And I know you've done some work in that space. Mm. Don't you have dominant these things, are, Philip? I absolutely remember uh, the night uh, lying on my couch, no doubt, after my, after my nightly read glass of wine and seeing this promo come on television on the ABC Outback Kids and, you know, the motifs and the, yeah, um, these, you know, boys or girls, black or white, um, these, these children, at the, these, at these young people, this is their last resort. And then, you know, and they had Aboriginal sort of uh, 
uh, paintings and some music in the background. And then, you know, you, 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 you have that, they started with, there was kids skating, you know, all sorts of symbols of inner city. And then we went to the symbols of the rural. And, and it was, so it was just the primer. And I went, are you kidding me? You have to be kidding me. Um, and then I watched it um, and, you know, got just went into complete meltdown and thought somebody has got to write something about that. This is outrageous in this, that, that um, the whole premise of this program and um, this, these, as you say, these morally infused ideas about just by being in a rural space, they're going to be somehow trans, transformed um, into something better. Mm, it's quite um, quite bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. I know, and, and some is. work and some work we were doing with some case study sites. Um, one was a a, uh, a boarding school in rural areas, which was attractive, particularly to overseas parents, because they felt they would be away from the uh, temptations of the city. Ah, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's quite uh, but, but this this might sound a little bit trite to to some of you, but um, the more recent work that I've been doing has been on rural romance novels. Okay. And if about rural romance novels go and have a look at the at the book section and you will see them everywhere so i'm talking about authors like Donald and carly lane and rachel treasure um and Carl and these so this has been a, a phenomenon in australian publishing over the last 10 uh, typically, a bestseller in Australia will sell, you know, a thousand copies or so. These are, they will be a start a print run of twenty thousand and sold much more, and also really popular overseas. Okay. So, those of you who know Chickley, as in Bridget Jones's story, mm-hmm. of contemporary romance, a key dimension of Chicklet has been the city, the urban sphere, right? So they're always in cosmopolitan cities. You know, Bridget Jones, London, New York, Tokyo, Sydney, sometimes. So the rural romance novels that women are writing, these Australian women, most of them, most, not incidentally because it's not incidental, most of them are farming women, okay? So there's all this authenticity of yeah. what they're saying and, and the, the narratives that they're constructing about rural Australia because they really live there. So they're very much based on the, on the chiclet formula. That's, you know, it's an ironic... Uh, post-feminist, you know, she's a feisty female. Uh, she's she's not the sort of she's sexually uh, not not the virgin of the past as as your Mills and Boone and things. So uh, she's the adventure, and she's got a he, she's got a friend group and all of that sort of stuff. The key a key difference is the location, and they're set in rural Australia. And these young women, so there's 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 two different types. There's the one where the girl's the woman on the land. And she's been in love with the boy next door for years, but I don't know, there's something's kept them apart. Dads have been fighting or something. And then there's the other one where the urban professional woman, for some reason, finds herself in a um, uh, rural place and falls in love with the farmer. But just to get back to this issue of morality, um, the, this is strong themes throughout these novels of that um, the farming men that the women fall in love with um, you know, a kind, a decent. Uh, it's that the authors have to have to walk a very fine line because they want to present them as uh, you know red-blooded males, heterosexual males, but they don't want them to. They also want them to uh, not be sort of I don't know creepy, 
And uh, so I was actually reading one, getting my hair cut, and it was a Korean-Australian hairdresser. And um, she said, oh, I love those books. I love those books. Yeah, go figure. She grew up in Seoul and now lives in Brisbane. And I said, what do you like about them? And she said, oh, the men. The men are just really good men. Interesting. Um, You know, it's not, they're constructed as good men, aren't they? They're constructed morally superior men to urban men. And again, Fantastic! They've got fantastic abs and biceps, and again, not from going to the gym, but by doing morally superior farm work. Which uh, I can just see so many echoes going back to uh, the biblical tales there as well, actually, and the, the cultural dominance of such stories as well. Absolutely, I hadn't thought yeah. about that, Philip. No, and that's very true. Cooking the land and being, yeah, um, yeah which you get in the American uh, literature and American imagery as well. Mm. especially through mm. those, um, those Midwestern states. Interesting too, mm. you mentioned there that, that they're constructed as a heterosexual males and that comes back to the gender issue around we were talking before around the same-sex marriage issues. Mm. So these, uh, this, this idea of what it's imagined to be and what it really is are two different things, mm. quite, um, mm. quite distinct. You've done a bit of work. I, at, sorry, go on. No, you, no, you finish. You've done a bit of work um, around disability as well in rurality. I have, and that's, yeah. And that's something that um, there's not many people doing work in that space compared to some of the others. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've been looking at in that okay, space? Okay, yeah. I think disability, it's, even just disability full stop, even in urban areas, has been under-researched, certainly mm. in Australia. Um, in terms of the rural study I had, I did interviews with rural men. Uh, all of whom had an acquired disability. So that means they weren't born with their disability. Um, Most had, they'd had traumatic car accidents, um, uh, motorbike accidents, fishing accidents, things like that. Uh, All pretty common in rural areas, these things. Yes, they were. And the majority, I think by nature of um, a number of factors, not least the type of accident, and uh, were working class men. They were men who had done physical labour before their um, before the accident. So it was really interesting to me to explore because I'm interested in gender issues about how did these men after their dis- after acquiring their disability negotiate being masculine in a rural space. You know because we know that they are, it's still very narrow, it's very narrow, the, what is acceptable um, in terms of, you know, normative terms for displaying masculinity in, in probably across mainstream Australia, but certainly in areas of rural Australia. Mm. And, and those ways are around, uh, you know, sport, paid work, yeah. um, perhaps uh, um, sexuality, um, and some of these these ways of demonstrating masculinity were necessarily taken away from from men as part of their disability, and they needed to find other ways, uh, or they didn't need to. But it was a it, they were navigating new paths. And some of them, some, I was particularly interested. I think uh, one dimension of the data that came out very strongly was about fathering and about their own, their own experiences of how they dealt with their disability, many of them rural dads, okay. and how they themselves fathered uh, post-disability or those ones who wanted to be a father and where they, whether they saw that as a possibility in terms of being a, a rural man with a disability. It's um, important work, especially in the context of the NDIS and uh, now the, the lack of access in many rural areas to services 
that they are mandated to access now. The sort of inequities it is in, in, in that, that system. The premise, the prem, a big premise of the grant, uh, Philip, that I think would be really interesting, find it still very confusing, is that there really still is a lack of knowledge from the perspective of people with disability um, about being a disabled person in rural Australia. So we do have a lot of a, a lot of very important. Don't get me wrong. A lot of the a lot of the research is very important, but it's about talking to service providers or distances between services and levels of services. But ours were our um, aims were in some ways more modest um, of just what's what's life like here for you on a daily basis. Um, and many, many struggled with, uh, with poverty, as yeah. you, know, you would imagine, what paid work was difficult to get, and with loneliness. It's um, themes that come up persistently in some of the literature. And interestingly, yeah. how those, those themes, um, not so much the paid work, but the, the loneliness and the other accessibility issues even come yeah. up when we talk to uh, professionals who are moving to rural areas to work ah, interesting. who yeah. aren't from those places. You get the same from a different perspective, but the same issues come up. Yeah. So it's, sort of, it's, yes. uh, it's interesting how these things come around in cycles, isn't it? It mm. does indeed, yeah. Um, Barbara, the last thing I'll ask you is um, about being a rural geographer and, mm. and how you see rural geography as distinct from the other rural studies. Well, I think the risk of stating the obvious that geographers are interested in spaces and the relationship between space and power, relationships, sorry, between space and power and identity. Uh, so, not, so understanding the rural as a particular type of space and then the spaces within that, um, so the school, uh, the community, but not taking those for granted, as Philip said before uh, about uh, Michael's work in terms of the community, but um, understanding these all, all of these spaces as uh, you know very fluid and porous um, and and potentially shifting. Excellent. Thank you for that that description. Uh, it's just it's good to get another perspective on the different disciplines that make up the broader rural studies from the people that are that are engaged in them so yeah yeah i suppose I, I had my original training in sociology and then i moved a bit more into the geographical literature because i felt if i was talking about rurality i was always talking about space and mm. the geographers were much more interested in that and having said that of course in um in different disciplinary areas since then there has been a spatial turn so, you know, sociologists have had a spatial term. Literature has had a spatial turn. Yep. So literary studies are starting to take up space. Uh, yeah, academics uh, academics can be, uh, go through fashion fads as well. And yep. spatiality is a bit of a fad at the moment. I was um, uh, referencing the Golson and Symes spatial turn, I think, in our first talk, actually, oh, too. Oh, so, okay. So uh, there yeah. you go. It's oh, it's <laughs> of course, of course. It's I didn't even mention education. Of course, spatiality in education, yeah. Um, Barbara, we've taken enough of your time, so I'll, I'll leave it there and thank you very much for, for your oh, time this afternoon. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. That was our discussion with Professor Barbara Peeney. Hopefully the slight background effects weren't too distracting. Unfortunately, a little bit avoidable at 
uh, at the present moment. I think really important in the context of what we've been hearing over these talks was Barbara's reference there to the issue of morality and how morality is used as one of the ways of defining the rural. That has a whole other dimension to the social and cultural elements that we've been talking about. And interesting to construct that in terms of the geographic organisation of the country as well and where people uh, situate themselves within the communities. So it's really good to see throughout these talks varying perspectives that help us see the, uh, the complexity of the term, just as Barbara cited in her conversation there. And that's one of the things that we, we hope to get from this work as we progress. And for now, that will uh, suffice for our instalment. Until next time.